0: i really? awesome guest teachers here this summer, some good friends bringing God's word to us. But uh, the one today is a little extra near and dear to us. Um, ben Pilgrim is the founder and lead pastor of Epic Church up in San Francisco, is about as close to a church to us as one gets. And uh, Ben serves on our board of directors. And so we're really grateful for him. And it's been an invaluable ministry behind the scenes uh, to us as a church family. And he also sits on our wisdom table, which, you know, is a, a term that we learned from him, but really is one of those people that will pick up the phone whenever we call, and we're just super grateful for that. Him and his whole team, I mean, ask our staff. They have just been invaluable to us, and so we are praising God and celebrating with Ben and Epic today because they closed on a building in Soma on Thursday. Can you guys believe it? They bought a building in San Francisco. God made a way for Epic to buy a building in San Francisco. Which is pretty epic, um, pretty amazing. Um, And we're really, really excited to see them be a bastion, continue to be a bastion for the gospel in the city. So, can we give Ben a big warm welcome?
1: Well, thank you, Cindy. I've got to be honest, after seeing so much sunshine coming into a church service, we don't actually get that in the basement in San Francisco. Even if we weren't meeting in the basement as a church, we probably wouldn't see the sun too often. But man, it is such a joy for me to be with the current family today. And uh, to be honest, it's been a privilege for me to be part of this movement and to see it up close from its very inception. You guys know this, right? But it is a gift to be rooted in the community with such healthy, humble, and at the same time, strong and confident leadership. Would you agree? I mean, listen, man, here's what happens for all of us, just in case you forget. We, We get so used to the normal environments we inhabit that sometimes it takes someone from the outside to remind us of how special the gift is that we're actually a part of in an ordinary daily kind of way. This is not an ordinary movement. You guys are part of something special. It doesn't make you or your church better than anyone else. But sometimes we, we lack gratitude when we forget or we come to assume that what is normal for me just automatically appeared. Guys, this is not automatic And I wish I could say that your experience is the normal church experience in North America, but unfortunately it's not. So be grateful to God for what you have. I love what he's doing here in and through your church. And I am thrilled today. I mean, just so you know, we started in a hotel and uh, she's right. I I, I walked, so Thursday we closed on the property in San Francisco, which is miracle after miracle. We're two two blocks north of the ballpark, like directly on 3rd Street, just on Brandon, just right off 3rd. And uh, to be honest, I, I never could have imagined this happening. And so a lot of business goes into that kind of a deal, right? So just working through all the details. And then on Thursday, so we signed the documents Tuesday. Wednesday, we sent the down payment, wired that over. And I'm like, this feels real. And just, but still a lot of details. And then Thursday, I walked out of my office. You know where that is. And, and uh, walking down to close that deal, I had to walk by the W Hotel, which is where we began our church right, in February 2011, and just, man, everything over those last 12 years just began to hit me, and it's just a reminder to me, and I want to remind you, if you just stay faithful daily to what God has given you as an individual, as a couple, as a family, and your jobs, and certainly as a church, there's no telling what can happen. Someone said back in the day, the greatest invention in the history of the world was compound interest, and that is certainly true, right, when it comes to our finances. But you guys, it's even more true when it comes to the kingdom of God. Stay faithful. Keep sowing. Remember, we don't reap in every season. We don't reap every day, but we can sow every single day. So today, let's sow into some things. What do you say? If you've been tracking with Current this summer, you know that we've been in a series called... I was just trying to say who's been tracking. We've been in a series called Knowing God. And you guys have been walking through Old Testament stories and passages, really trying to understand who is this God. And while God and knowing him is inexhaustible, he has revealed himself to us. And if there's a God, wouldn't we see fit to give our time and energy to knowing what this god is like and what he might have for our lives. And if you're here for the first time today, you have chosen not only a great community to step into, but you've chosen a great first day to step into it. I want to give all of us something today that I think will bring clarity and confidence even to what we do this afternoon and to what you wake up and do tomorrow. Anybody need a faith that helps them beyond Sundays? I want to give that to you today. And I want to talk about purpose. So I want to just Call this message the purpose of God, but I I first just want to say to all of us, and then again, we're not going to play church today, we're going to be honest. You ever been with people playing church like, oh, you know, like where every question, the answer is Jesus, right? So it's like, who built the ark? He didn't. He, (laughs) he, He didn't at all. Every single person in this room wants to know, what is my purpose? And by purpose, we simply mean this. The reason for which something is done or for which something exists, right? Purpose. The reason that something is done or for which something exists. We know what the purpose of an airplane is, yes? You know why it exists, right? Do you know what the purpose of a computer is? I'm not talking to you gamers out there. The rest of us, do we know why we have computers? We know what the purpose. You you know what the purpose of a table is, yes? Yes. You know what the purpose of a keyboard is. We know why all of these things exist, but when it comes to us, we're like, I don't know why I'm here. Is it not fascinating to you that the person you know the best has a lot of confidence and competence about why so much in our world exists, and yet we aren't always sure why we exist? So we have questions like, what's the meaning of my life? Where should I live? What am I supposed to do with my vocation? What am I supposed to do with this relationship? What am I supposed to, like, what am I doing here? And the leading question I want to give us right out of the gate is this question. Where does the purpose of our life originate? I I want you just to be thinking about that. We're going to have a little bit of interaction, so get ready to play along. But I want you to be thinking about where does the purpose of your life originate? get its start. Where does your purpose or my purpose originate? For a lot of us in this room, our purpose, we think, originates with our parents. For many of us, from the time we were young and can remember, our parents said, hey, this is what your life is supposed to be about, and this is what your life isn't supposed to be about. And even as we're approaching university days, now you can only participate if your parents aren't in the room, okay? This is really important. (laughs) Anybody have parents in the room? I just need to make sure. All right, you cannot play. Anyone in the room, your university choices were determined by your parents. Did they say to you, you can go to this set of schools, or you better try to at least, but you can't go to this set of schools? Anybody? Come on. And once you got to that university, anybody have moms or dads or grandparents who said you can major in these things or, and you can't major in these things? Anybody? Come on, this is for real. Now, some of you, well, that was cute, and they were paying for it, so you didn't know how to work that out. Some of you are in your 30s and 40s right now, and what you're doing with your life is exactly what your parents want you to be doing with your life. And for you, so you thought before today that your purpose for your existence originated with your mom and dad. How many of you, your purpose originates with your boss or the company you work for? Like, they think they know why you were made by God. They think they know what you should do between 8 and 5, and when it's not 8 to 5. Anybody feel like you work for someone? Again, if your boss is here. <laughs> so if you're on the current team, you cannot, you're cannot. you not, your boss is here. But anybody just like, yeah, I've got a boss, he or she, they think that they my purpose originates with them. Anybody just think, they, all right, great, you guys are free. Uh, others of you might say, Ben, my purpose originates from the culture at large meaning i just kind of pay attention to the trends i see how everyone else is talking what everyone else is giving their money to what everyone else is giving their time to and i just think that my purpose begins there so i just kind of put into practice when it comes to my purpose what everyone else is putting into practice but i know some of you are way more spiritual than that some of you are like no ben i have a calling anybody think they have a calling (laughs) raise your hand you do have a calling Right? I love calling. I, I love, in fact, if you don't know this, I uh, began this new brand called the Bring It Out organization. And here's my mantra or the tagline for, I created the Bring It Out course, the Bring It Out podcast. I've written the Bring It Out book. We'll see if we ever publish it or not. But the tagline for Bring It Out is simply this. Whatever God puts in you, he wants to bring out of you. As much as I love calling, as much as, in addition to pastoring, what I get most passionate about is helping people discover their calling and then step into that calling you need to know that your purpose doesn't actually even originate with your calling so what i want to do today is this i want to use the life of moses to show you where your purpose originates if you've got a bible on you we're in exodus chapter 2 verse 23 uh, I, it's going to be on the screen but there are no screens so you're going to have to look it up, download a Bible app real quick. What I want to do is begin in Exodus 2:23. We'll get to three, chapter 3, verse 12. And I want you to be thinking about this idea of like, where does my purpose begin? And you're like, Ben, why would you teach me about my purpose using the story of Moses? I'm surely no Moses. Well, that may be true, but let me tell you two things. Number one, Moses was living in complete obscurity when the call of God came on his life. No one knew who Moses was or where he was, but God did. Number two, while you and I will never have the exact same calling as Moses, what we see with his calling gives us the pattern for how God's calling and purpose always works. You're like, he said always. I learned from my marriage therapist, you're thinking you're never supposed to say never or always. I just said it. The pattern that we get from Moses' calling by God is the pattern it's not going to be the same. You're like, am I going to have a burning bush thing? Maybe, but that's not my point. My point is what you see about God's purpose and Moses' purpose, it's the same pattern for how God's purpose will work in your life. Now, let me catch us up before we walk into the text in Exodus 2:23. 23. What's, uh, a lot of you know the, the Hebrews, the Israelites, they've been enslaved under that evil empire known as Pharaoh's empire in Egypt. At the time that Moses was born, there was actually an edict issued by Pharaoh that all Hebrew boys should be killed as soon as they're born. But aren't you so grateful that there were a group of midwives who were unwilling to do what Pharaoh demanded they do? And so they let Moses live. They connect Moses with his mom. Moses is nursed by his mother. And then the text says, when she could no longer hide Moses, she put him in a basket and placed him beside the Nile River. In God's sovereignty, it's Pharaoh's daughter that picks up that basket, and she begins to raise Moses as her own. So imagine the identity confusion for Moses. He is a Hebrew son growing up in an Egyptian household. And not just in any Egyptian household, the most powerful Egyptian household there was. So Moses grows up, and we don't learn a lot about those years. But we can infer a few things based on the next moment and scene in Moses' story. Moses comes upon an Egyptian beating the you-know-what out of a Hebrew. And you can imagine, like so many people today, he is outraged at the injustice. But unfortunately, like so many people today, his outrage, which was appropriate at the injustice, led him to do things that were not God's design for taking care of justice. So Moses ends up killing this Egyptian, buries him in the sand. Eventually, he's found out, and now he's running for his life. He settles in a place called Midian. He ends up getting married. He has a son. And in case you want to know how bad it's gotten for Moses, he now is working for his father-in-law. Now, again, you can't participate if your father-in-law is here. I love my father-in-law, but let's be honest. How many of us wish we were working for our father-in-law? I didn't think so. All right, this is the scene we walk into in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Moses, there's the calling. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. I pray that God will bless the scriptures today because he always does that when we open our hearts to receive that. And there's so much for us to learn. And again, remember the title of this message is the God of Purpose. And I told you, your experience won't look exactly like the experience Moses had, but the pattern will be the exact same pattern. Here's what we have to know. Before there's a purpose downloaded to the heart of Moses, there's a purpose burning in the heart of God. This is huge. So Moses, where does your calling originate? Well, I have this thing that I'm supposed to do. No, no, Moses, before there's a purpose, download it to the heart of Moses. There is a purpose burning in the heart of God. This is a God who has plans. This is a God who has intentions. This is the God of purpose. Moses only has a purpose because God has a purpose. You and I only have a purpose because God has a purpose. So the question, what should I do with my life? It's not a bad question. It's just a bad first question. The first question isn't what does God want me to do with my life? Here's the first question. What does God want to do? Full stop. What what does God want to do? The reason you've spent all summer in this Knowing God series is because you want to know what God is like. But if we're honest, self-included, sometimes I just want to know what God is like so I can understand what he wants me to do with my life. And I love that. I told you, I built a whole organization on that premise. But the first question isn't, Ben, what does God want you to do with your life? The question is, what does God want to do? What does he want to do? What What are his plans? What? are his intentions? What is he after? What does he desire? What does he want to accomplish? And what we've just read is from the Bernie Bush experience, it is a magnificent calling on the life of Moses. But the only reason Moses is given this mission is because God wants something accomplished in the world. Would you agree? He's not like, oh, man, Moses looks bored. Listen, he's put a lot of time in as a shepherd. Oh, my gosh, he's been working for his father-in-law. We've got to get a really significant thing for Moses. He doesn't do that. Before God tells Moses what he wants Moses to do, he lets Moses know what's on his heart. This is so significant. Before God tells Moses what he wants Moses to do, God lets Moses know what is on God's heart. I want you to look at verses 7 and 8 if you still have that text open. And I hope this will encourage you for lots of reasons today, but I want you to notice how many times the word I is used by God in the first person in verse 7 and 8. God says, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering, verse 8, so I've come down to rescue. Is this good news to anyone else when you look at all that's happening in our world or even in your world or my world today? Is it, is it good news to anyone that you have a God who sees, hears, is concerned and is coming down to do something about it? And listen, I get all of the questions. I think they're okay. I just I hate seeing people walk away from their faith because God isn't showing up on our timetable. You can imagine if you were part of this Israelite community and it's been 400 years that you've been enslaved, you would assume that either there is no God or this God is not good. But Ben, why the delay? I can't give you the answers to your why questions, but I can give you the answers to the who question. God sees, he hears, he's concerned, and I love the language of chapter, uh, verse eight, so I'm coming down to rescue. I don't know what you're in the middle of. I don't know what's going on in your world, in your family, with your financial reality, with your mental health, with your emotional well-being. I don't know what's going on with you, but I just want you to know God sees. And he hears, and he's concerned, and he wants to do something. And I don't know what burdens your heart and breaks your heart for the world that we're currently living in, either in the Bay Area or as you look across the globe, but I want you to know that God sees, he hears. He's concerned and he wants to do something about it. And I think the principle is this. God is involved before he ever asks us to get involved. Isn't that good? God, like, whatever he's going to ask you to do, he's already doing something with that and about that. He's already into it. So we're never going, hey, God, let me give you an idea. He's like, no, 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 I'm going to give you an idea. The thing I'm calling you into, I'm already doing something about that. He's already involved. And so now, so far, this hasn't been about Moses at all, has it? It's been God saying, I want to do this, I want to do this, I've seen, I've heard, I'm concerned, so I'm coming down, and here comes this huge invitation to Moses and to us when God says, come, I'll send you. This is always how it works with God. One time when you get a chance, go back to look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says this, God realized there was no one to work the ground and take care of the earth, so he puts a human on the planet. What God first did with Adam and did with Moses, he's doing with you. The reason that you are here is because there's something God wants to get done and he wants to invite you into his mission. There's a reason you see that you're alive in the 21st century. Anyone feel like you should have been born in a different century? There's a reason you're alive, and no matter where you wish you live, no matter where you're planning to live this time next year, I want all of us to know there's a reason that we're here in the Bay Area, isn't there? And it might not be the reason that you think you were here in the first place, but there's a reason. There's a reason you have the gifts and the passions that you possess do you know that God did not start current church so that your pastors would have careers? That's crazy. But God started current through your pastors, lots of other people who are still here and some who've gone on, lots of great amazing men and women who sacrificed so you could sit into this space this this morning. He did that so that you might know about Jesus, so that your marriage might be reconciled, so that your mental health might be healed, so that you would know that God put you on this planet for a purpose, and now you guys are going to go reach more people with the good news and the message of Jesus Christ. That's why he did that. And God has given you your jobs, not so you could just do really cool things and make a ton of money, but he wants you to serve your teammates, your clients, your coworkers. He wants you to show them that God is good. He wants you to do what you do for the glory of God any parents in the house i just met someone who just became a parent for the fourth time over the oldest is five and i'm like man you win you win i've got four kids myself but they are all 14 to 18 now and and doing their thing listen god did not give you your kids so you would just have cute babies god gave you those cute babies because he's got a purpose for those cute babies And you need to, at a very young age, say, hey, here's what I see in you, but I want you to do whatever God calls you to do. Because you see, back in August 7th of 2022, I I heard a message about how your purpose doesn't even originate in the heart of your mom and your dad. There's a God in heaven who brought you into our lives because there's something he wants to do with your life. Do not be that mom or dad. May I not be that pastor that leads people to go, oh, I think you should do this. No, no. Listen, here's what I see God doing. I can help with discernment process. I can sit at that wisdom table. But whatever God has for you, that's what I want, to give. I want you to give yourself to. So here's a few things just to know. We have a purpose because God has a purpose. We are called to act because God wants to act. You and I have work to do because God has work to do, period. You don't have a purpose outside of the purpose of God. You can assume a purpose. You can live out your parents' purpose. Anybody ever met uh, the reality that other humans have a plan for your life just as much as God does? There's a lot of people with plans for my life. Got to make sure I'm hearing clearly. Toning down the noise. being careful with my inputs. But you have a purpose because God has a purpose. You are being called to act because God wants to act. You, my friend, have work to do because God has work to do. Let me give you this principle. When you realize that God has a purpose before you have a purpose, it should give you confidence in the purpose God has given you. Let me say that again. I told you today, I want you to walk out with clarity and I want you to be able to walk out with confidence. When you and I realize that we have a purpose only after God has a purpose, it should give us, wouldn't you agree, confidence in the purpose God has given to us. But you see Moses' reaction. He reacts like so many of us would react. But before we get there, let me give you this from Psalm 33, verse 10 and 11. In Psalm 33, verse 10 and 11, it tells us about the purposes of God. And here's what we read. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the people. So listen to this. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Isn't that good news? Aren't you glad that your boss can't take away the purpose of God for your life? I'm serious. Aren't you glad that COVID can't take away the purpose of God for your life? Aren't you glad that there's not an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend? There's not the stock market. Anybody like, oh, the stock market's taking away the purpose of my life. (laughs) It might delay the purpose of your life, but it is not able. God's purposes, they're in his heart, and they stand firm for all generations. If you want to bet on something for the future, bet on the purposes of God. Can't be thwarted. But then you have Moses' reaction. He responds like so many of us do. He's like, here's his first thing out of the gate. Moses, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. Moses' question, which is a logical question, is this one. Who am I? Ever been called on to do something and that's your question too, like me? God, who am I? Essentially what he's saying is, do you know who you've chosen? Do you know how powerful Pharaoh is? Do you know how weak I am? Do you know that I've been with the sheep for decades? Like Everybody in this room is thinking about career trajectory. You don't go like, shepherd, go to Pharaoh. There's got to be some interning before that, right? But there isn't. There isn't at all. Now, when Moses says to God, who am I? You might expect God to say to Moses, Moses, you're the guy. Right? Little, little like locker room speech. Moses, you can do this. Moses, I've been watching you, and you have what it takes. You are able to pull this off. But notice, if you read the text, God doesn't answer that question at all. Huge. He's not answering that question at all. He doesn't tell Moses who he is. He simply tells Moses this, Moses, I will be with you. So what's the principle? Here's the principle. To fulfill the divine purpose of your life, you need the divine presence in your life. I'm going to repeat that again. You need to write it down. I'm serious. Otherwise, you're going to feel the weight of the world. I can't do this. You can't. To fulfill the divine purpose of your life. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's big in the world's eyes or small. I don't care if it's public or it's private. I do not care. To fulfill the divine purpose of your life, my friend, you need the divine presence in your life. The thing that God's calling you to do, you'll never be able to do all by yourself. And the good news here is that the heavy lifting is never going to mostly be on you. See, at Epic Church, we always talk about in every endeavor, there's a part for God to play, and there's a part for us to play. We never have the leading part. And you're like, oh, I want the leading part. If you're the leading part, that's a small life. I want God to have the leading part. I can't make buildings happen in San Francisco. God can do that. I couldn't bring my daughter home from India seven years ago. I did my part, which was somewhat significant, but God had to do the heavy lifting for them to release her into our care. So when you, when you step into the purpose of God, you need to really understand something. You're going to need the presence of God in your life where it's not the purpose of God. Anybody ever put themselves, isn't it funny how we love talking a big faith game at church, but we never want to have to exercise great faith? Like, oh, I'm a, I'm a person of faith, but I'm going to make sure I've got enough money that I never have to trust God. I'm going to only do vocations that I feel comfortable in. I'm going to only have enough kids that I can afford, which in the Bay Area is like 0.6. I don't know how to do that. (laughs) But I'm such a man of faith. I mean, I am so filled with faith. No, no, no. I want to live a life of faith, not talk a life of faith. I want to learn to walk by faith when I'm tempted just to walk by sight. I want to get in on what God has for me. And I know that you want to get in, at least I hope, on what God has for you. So you don't have to do the heavy lifting, but you do have to answer this question. Will you make your life about the purpose of God or something else? And if it's something else, I'm not even interested in all the hundreds of options that exist for us in this room today, but is your life going to be about the purpose of God or something else? And what I want to do, just to wrap up our time, I want to give you three responses from people actually in the New Testament, really quick, one verse responses from people in the New Testament who had to decide what you and I have to decide, which is this. Okay, there is a God. He's got purposes. Now all I need to choose is whether or not I'm I'm going to align with his purposes or I'm going to make my own purpose. The first one that comes to mind for me is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, she is told by the angel that she's going to bring the son of God, the Messiah into the world. And she asked the kind of question that's similar to the Moses question. She's like, How will this be? Like, I've taken biology here in Nazareth, and I'm just not sure how this is going to go. And the angel says, The Holy Spirit will overpower you. And here was her response I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. This sounds crazy, but if that's your purpose, I know that my purpose comes from your purpose. If that's what you want to do in the world and you want to use me for this moment, I'm in. I think about the apostle Paul. He goes and starts churches all over the place after his life is transformed by the life and love of, of Jesus. And he's starting churches all over the place. And there's this moment in Acts 20 where they say to Paul, Paul, listen, man, you need to know that prison and hardships await you. Listen to Paul's response, Acts 20, 24. Paul says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task. The Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I love this from Paul. Here's what I'm after. He said, I'm just going to, I got to complete the task. I've got to do the thing that God put me on this earth to do. My purpose originates in the heart of God. So if that's what awaits me in the future, I'm all in. And of course you can't talk about this without talking about Jesus. In John chapter 4, after that incredible encounter with the Samaritan woman, if you remember, the reason Jesus is there alone with the Samaritan woman is because all of the disciples have gone to town to buy food. They come back with food, and they're like, Jesus, you need to eat, and Jesus says this in John 4, 34, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Even for Jesus, the one thing that he was so laser-focused in on was not his own initiative, not his own prerogative, not even his own purpose, though. He's the son of God. You remember what he said? Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what, what you will, because... My purpose originated in your heart. So I want to ask you this, and it's a massive question, probably one you can't evaluate completely in a moment like this, but does the purpose for your life seem to have originated in the heart of God? I'm not talking about his purpose. I'm talking about the purpose you've assumed for your life. When we look at your life, when we see what you're aiming at, when you, what you're doing with your gifts, your time, your money, how you are as a neighbor, what kind of work you're doing, all of the things, does it seem like your life and the purpose for your life started in the heart of God? Or if we look at it, does it look like it started somewhere else? And here's the good news. If it's not one that seems like it started in the heart of God, you and I can do what's classically in the church world called repentance. It just means I'm going I'm to turn away from a life where it's been about my purpose, and I want to align or realign my purposes with the purposes of God. I mean, what I told you about Moses and what I told you about you, it was true for the life of Jesus, wasn't it? You see, the life of Jesus only had a purpose because God... Had Anybody been part of the message the last 30 minutes? God already had a mission. God had a purpose. The only reason the life of Jesus makes sense is because there's a purpose burning in the heart of God. And that purpose burning in the heart of God is that you and I and lots of other people in the Bay Area would come to know him and value him and put our hope and our faith and our trust for all eternity in him. That's what we were made to do. And so for some of us today... Before we even ask the question, God, what should I do with my life? We should ask this question. God, what did you do with your life? What did you do with your life? And what did that have to do with your purpose? And, and God, what did you doing that with your life, what did it have to do with me? I think my favorite way to answer that question is from Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, where Paul writes to the Galatians. Listen, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, the woman who got on board with God's purposes, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Isn't that incredible that you were burning in God's heart? So he has a purpose for Jesus to come and lay down and give his perfect life on a cross. So that you could first realize that you were made to know him and love him and worship him like we've sung about already. And to do everything that he calls you to do because that's the best life for you, including living out the purpose for which he created you. In fact, today, if you haven't started your spiritual journey like Cindy mentioned a moment ago, what a great day now that you've heard that God has a purpose for your life to place your faith and trust in Jesus. And if that is you, I, like one of the best ways I love to say it at our church is like, just say a prayer like this, Jesus, save me from a life without you and bring me into a life with you. Nothing magical about those words, but I love kind of the intention of that prayer. Save me from a life without you, bring me or lead me into a life with you. And then for the rest of us, when you and I realize that there's a God who has purpose, And the God of purpose gives us a purpose that began not with our wild ideas like we thought, it actually began burning in his heart. You should have confidence to know that when you and I get on board with what he wants done in our lives and in this world, that's a chance we should bet our lives on. I want to pray for you today. I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts as as you spend some time just reflecting on what you've heard today. I don't know what stands out to you. I'm not sure what it is that resonated with you from what you heard today, but a couple of thoughts. One is like, what would it look like for me to be confident that my purpose started in the heart of God like Moses's? Some of us in this room know that God has called us to something specific. And again, this doesn't mean like it's major in the world's eyes. It could be that God's called you to a particular thing with your family or to a new vocation or to serve in this church or to start giving to the mission of God in this, whatever it may be. And like Moses, you might say, I don't know if I'm up to the task. And the point of God's call on your life isn't whether or not you're up to the task. It's that... To fulfill the divine purpose of your life, you will need the divine presence in your life. And then for a lot of us, we know the purpose of an airplane. We know the purpose of this table. We know the purpose of a computer, but we don't know why we are here existing. Even before you know all the details, let me give you a great prayer from Psalm 138 verse eight in the English standard version. I pray this a lot for my own children. It says this, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. His steadfast love endures forever. God, do not forsake the work of your hands. So, so even before I know all the details, I don't know what God has for my life in the future completely. I've got some decent ideas, but just to be confident, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. He will do the thing that he set out to do, and, and I want to fulfill his purpose for me. Do you? Father, I thank you so much. That while we can be in awe at the life and story and history of Moses' legacy, what you did with Moses, you're still doing with men and women and boys and girls in this room. You're still wanting to get things done in the world. You're still tapping us on the shoulder and say, hey, I created you to do this thing. And don't worry, I know it's hard and heavy, but I'm going to be with you and I'll do the majority of the lifting. God, I can look back, even over these 12 years we've been in the Bay Area ourselves and and just see when we couldn't, you could, and that was enough. So God, I pray that you would give us clarity, cut through the noise and distraction. God, I pray you would give us humility, but also you would give us great confidence. As Paul said to the Philippians in chapter one, verse six, I'm confident of this. The God who began a good work, surely he will carry it on to completion, to the day of Christ. Jesus, thank you for showing us with your life what the posture looks like to say, hey, my food, what gives me nourishment is to do the thing God sent me to do. Thank you for modeling in humility what it's like to align yourself, your life, and even your death with the purposes of God. Would you create a community among us here at Current where we do the same thing that you did for us? It's in your strong name we pray. Amen.